I was about 230 to 240 pounds. I was always more like a linebacker than I was like anything, <laughs> you know? Like, who's this big beefcake redheaded boy over here? <laughs> like in high school, I remember I played basketball, and I remember on the free throw line, I, sh- I go to shoot the shot, and some kid stands up and goes, oh, Doyle rules. <laughs> and the whole place starts laughing. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Nate. And we want to welcome you to Don't Feed the Trolls. A podcast where we discuss trending topics, art, and culture. Through the lens of our experiences touring the world and creating art vocationally. We hope to bring topics out of the minefield of the comments sections. And into the sphere of reasonable dialogue. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Don't Feed the Trolls, a podcast where we clash without the trash. Hey, Nate. Hey, Matt. You remember when uh, you used to post something from like Sherwood's Facebook page? The majority of people mm-hmm. who liked your page would see it like every time. Yeah. And then uh, Facebook, you know, they went public and they started to make us pay to boost our status updates so people who liked our band pages could see them. Well, yeah, they started this algorithm thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, they 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 wanted you to pay for the service, which I understand. But we we tried to trick it several times, trying to get posts to go viral so people could see them. And uh, I actually slipped one past them a few months ago on the Classic Crimes page. And what was that post about? It was nothing necessarily viral, but the engagement of it was so high that a lot of people saw it. And okay, it was just an honest admission that most of the time I feel like I'm not a very good musician and that I don't have, you know, proper training and I I don't know the theory that well. And I basically told people I feel like a fraud. And that was your most popular post? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone agreed with it. Well, no, I think... Interesting. You know, I just, I basically said, you know, I I feel like someday everybody's going to find out that that I don't know what I'm doing and like the right to create will be revoked from me. And people, I think, um, just related to that. And, and yeah. so they responded, they commented, they liked. And I was thinking, this is something that, it, it's not just in me, it's in, it's in a lot of people. This is actually a pretty common thing. What's it, what's it called? Imposter syndrome. Boom! And I think <laughs> you just stumbled on an episode, my friend. Because no need to feel like an imposter. You are a great great talented person (laughs) thank you this uh this podcast episode is going to be about imposter syndrome and i first learned about this um from a local ted talk on like my local npr station wait a minute Uh, wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute don't you have to be like really, really cool to have imposter syndrome? Are we even cool enough to have this? I'm not. I, I'm not saying I'm cool. I, I'm saying it's just I. I might. I display symptoms of of having imposter syndrome. It was well. I'm just being devil's devil's advocate there because <laughs> like grad students get it. Sure. Lots of women get it. It's Perf- not like oh, you have to be this cool person to get it. So I, I just want to put that out there so we don't sound like oh man, we're so cool. We have G- imposter gen- syndrome. Generally speaking, it's it's people who are high functioning who think they are in fact low functioning. They feel like an imposter. Uh, it, the definition is is uh, imposter syndrome is defined as a collection of feelings of inadequacy that yeah. persist even in the face of information that indicates that the opposite is true. You are not inadequate. You are adequate but you feel inadequate. It is experienced internally as chronic self-doubt and feelings of intellectual fraudulence. So like the symptoms are one, 
feeling like a fake. Nate, have you ever felt like a fake before? Oh, dude. I feel like a fake right now. Like, <laughs> Who are I'm, you to do a podcast? That's dude, what I feel. Like, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like This whole week, it's just been interesting because you, you record your voice, you throw it out there on the internet, and you're just like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> Like, who wants to hear this crap coming out of our mouths? We, we, we even charted on the philosophy section. It's like, our podcast just sucks. <laughs> Dude, I hate it. it, it it's got to be in everybody. So and how... Uh, I feel like a fraud, even now, doing this podcast. <laughs> so I, I... So you've and, got, and then I go, you've well, got I the even, first symptom down. What? You've got the first sim- symptom down. So the uh, number two and three of the of the big symptoms are... Uh, number two is attributing success to luck. Like, oh, I just got lucky, you know, Yeah. to get in this position and I don't really belong here. And then uh, number three is discounting success, which is another way of saying, yeah, it's so you not look at that, all your, yeah, I'm not, we're not that successful. I mean, look at, look at them, look at other people. We yeah. do okay. I do okay. So why do you want to talk about it? I mean, really, what, well, what's there to talk really, about? Really, I want to talk about it because I think I suffer from it. Uh, and um, I don't know. It's a syndrome. I don't. I don't think it's an actual mental disease or anything. But it's. I think it's a chronic, chronic pattern of thought. And um, I think overcoming this, addressing it, and overcoming it can really help um, me and other creative people break through their their creative blocks and and actually just do things. So that's kind of. I think is this to, focusing too much on yourself though? Is it like? Is that part of the problem? Just internalizing wonder, everything? Is it, like depression, they say, is a form of just thinking about yourself all the time. Right, how you feel. and Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it is a form of like <clears throat> or, or narcissism in a way. It's like, I, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Me, 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 me. But um, yeah. yeah, I could see that. I mean, it's, that's, that's the thing is like for me, it, it, I do so much better when I f- focus on the product or what I'm creating as opposed to yeah. what I feel about it. If I live more externally and I go, what am I doing right now? And how am I, you know, am, am I completing this project as opposed to how do I feel about like my value or how yeah. do I feel about, you know, if I'm good enough to do this, that's like internalizing and thinking way too much about my feelings. And I, I get in this conversation with my wife a lot because she's, it, it matters not to her how well we performed a show. It yeah. matters how she felt about it. And I'm like, no, we performed yeah. well. Like, I can objectively go outside of myself, look at us, and go, we're doing pretty good right now. But she goes, yeah. oh, I just felt like crap. And so it was a bad show because I felt bad. Yeah, dude, I feel, I felt that all the time. Like, there were shows when I could literally felt like I could do no wrong. Right. I walked in. There was 500 kids. Sweaty. Sold out. I was a totally different performer. Right. I was in my element. An hour went by. We played the whole set. I I walked off stage just sweaty and smiling like, this is what I was born to do. Right. And then there were shows when it was like 100 people in a 500 cap room and I couldn't get over it. It was like, (laughs) this sucks. It was all the crowd. Where is everybody? Right. (laughs) We suck. We're a terrible band. Nobody wants to come pay to see this crappy. I... Oh, it was so, so tough to get through those shows because I was just like such an up and down, such a bipolar performer. Oh, I hated it. Yeah. Well, when it's totally dependent on the audience and not on the craft, it's like you, you're receiving your validation from people. It makes yeah. it really, really hard. What what about you felt like, I mean, did you feel on stage in those moments where you had tough shows? And I, I can kind of relate to this where it's just like, I'm not good enough to be here. Like I think most creative people have relatively low self-esteem i do 
I can admit that. I mean, I every think time everyone we toured with did. So when I find like imposter syndrome really rear its ugly head, it's always when I'm trying to do something new. Like if I'm starting a new creative project or if like I'm, a podcast. Like a podcast, yeah, and we've been talking about this a bit over the last couple of weeks. We've we've released some episodes and and just thinking like, what are we? We're just what another we like we're one. We're just another voice in like a sea of voices. And what do we have to offer? And what do people like? We're not experts in anything, yeah. you know. Like why it matters that we do a podcast to you, like to just battle imposter syndrome. I think because the only thing I feel matters now as a 35-year-old moving forward in life is I just want to be honest. Right. Like I just want to be honest that I don't have my I don't have my shit together. I don't know what I'm doing most of the time, but I want to just breathe into that honesty because th- those are the things I like. I like honest films, I like honest music, right. I like I like honest podcast. I like everything that's just real. Like, yeah. Give it to me. Give me the realness. Yeah. And I struggle with the fake and the real and the back and the forth. Sure. So putting yourself I wanna... out there is vulnerable in a way, you know, like you're, you know, people can scrutinize the yeah. way my voice sounds or people can say he sounds uptight or he sounds like a jerk. And, yeah. you know, we're trying to get better as we go, but it's, it is a vulnerable position to put yourself out there and go, okay, here I am world. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> and you, and in some senses, like, you and I are finally at an age where we have some experience to talk about something, right? Right. Like, you know, you're 20 years old, you're writing songs. What are you going to write about? Everyone knows what you're going to write about. Like, oh, this girl, you know, oh, right. hurt, my, hurt my heart. And now, like, our new record is just all philosophical. There's just all these <laughs> deep themes in the songs where, you know, there's some heartbreak in there, mm-hmm. but it's different. You know, it's more like some of the heartbreak songs are about divorce, which is where my friends are. My right. friends are getting divorced. Right. And... It sucks, but what about so, you, Matt? Why do you want to do this podcast? Well, I mean, anytime, feel- anytime someone asks me to do something new, I all—it's always met with a level of resistance in me. Like I'm not good enough. Um, yeah. Whether it's you know producing a record or or mixing a record or even like, you know, last year Emery was like, "Hey, come play bass," you know, for us on a couple shows, and and I had to learn how to play bass for, you know, learn 14 songs in two weeks or something, which shouldn't be hard for. Uh, a session musician. This is the part of the episode where my mic uh, cut out and I stopped working completely and uh, we had to revert to the audio from Skype. Just like met with all this, like, I'm not a bass player. I can't do this, you know? And to me, I've learned over the years to like embrace that as a reason to do the thing I'm afraid of doing. And I've got this awesome quote from this book, um, Stephen Pressfield. And he talks about in the war of art, this, um, what he calls capital R resistance. And this is the thing that like comes up, you know, to battle you anytime you want to do something, anything creative. So a new endeavor or a new project resistance comes in so many different forms of like laziness or procrastination or fear or self doubt. And he, Hmm. he like does a really good job just naming it. Um, And there's this great quote from the book. He says fears. And this is also hearkening back to our um, episode on fear things about fear that are good. You know, we were, we were thinking fear is good in some ways. He says this fear is good. Like self doubt. Fear is an indicator. Fear tells us what we have to do. And he's talking obviously in, in the case of like creative endeavors, he goes, remember our rule of thumb, the more scared we are of a work or calling, the more sure we can be that we have to do it. It is resistance is experienced as fear. The degree of fear equates to the strength 
of resistance. Therefore, the more fear we feel about a specific enterprise, the more certain we can be that that enterprise is important to us and to the growth of our soul. That's why we feel so much capital R resistance. If it meant nothing to us, there'd be no resistance. So we say, we're going to do a Mm. podcast. And like so so many thoughts and feelings of self-doubt creep into our mind. And to me, I've learned over the years, and obviously this book is a great um, handbook guide tool. If you're a creative person, Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art, I really recommend it. Has, ta- has taught me over the years that this fear that I feel is actually a way of validating my path. I have to okay. do it now because I'm afraid of doing it. Because it yeah. puts me in a vulnerable spot that is good for my soul. Sherwood gets our invitation to go to Japan for the first time, and uh, we're stoked out of our minds. We fly over there, and the first show we play is Punk Spring, and it's this huge festival, probably forty to 50,000 people Whoa. in this huge airplane hangar, and everyone's backstage just walking around. It's like Angels and Airwaves, and Rancid was headlining. Well, Sherwood recorded our second record at Fat Mike's studio in San Francisco, which is really funny because we're like this pop band we're not punk at all. Like, it's all safe for the family. There's no <laughs> punk in anything we did, we did or do. And you've so, got this punk rock royalty there. So, yeah. So, Fat Mike comes up to me. He's like, and, and we'd spent all Warp Tour together. And he literally, on Warp Tour, started calling me by my full name, Nathan Henry. And <laughs> so, for, for people who don't know, Fat Mike is the singer-songwriter for No Effects. And he became good friends with Dan. And right, I remember that. Because Dan gave him ten reasons to argue why, you know, better beg, better arguments to show up to the Bible study at Warp Tour. <laughs> and, and then Fat Mike goes, why, why are you telling me this? He goes, well, I'm a Christian. These are the things I struggle with. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's just funny. So Dan and, Dan and Fat Mike became friends. And then it, sort of sidestepping, I kind of became, like, he knew who I was when right. we talked, you know. So he comes up to me backstage at Punk Spring, and he's like, Nathan Henry. And he's standing with Tim Armstrong, and they're walking down, who's the singer of Rancid. Right. Writer of many mega hits that you've listened to. Right. Um, And so it's me, Fat Mike, Tim Armstrong. We're walking down the halls in Japan backstage in this huge festival. And then the, the singer of the Buzzcocks, this, like, famous UK punk band, walks up. And he's like, Ask somebody a question, and I'm in this four-way conversation with, like, three punk rock legends. And I'm going, what the hell am I doing in this conversation right now? Trying, I was just trying to say something interesting. I was like, and it's so funny because at one point, the singer of the Buzzcocks looks at Fat Mike and he goes, Hey, mate, who are you? Like, I'm like the direct. They didn't even go towards me. It went towards Fat Mike, <laughs> kind of universally known in the punk scene. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, I'm Fat Mike. I'm, I, I sing in this band called No Effects." And he goes, "Oh shit, mate! I just say something." You know? And I'm like, I'm like standing here going, 
stop asking questions. You're going to figure me out. I'm just this dumb kid in this band, and I don't have any reason to be here. And, dude, it was... It was so funny, but I'll never forget. Like, It's proof that you're an imposter because to some people out there, you are on the same level of those bands. And some people never heard know, of those. Crazy. Some of the people never heard of those bands. And they don't care. They only like Sherwood and the begging. I mean, we'll, we'll play some no effects and some, some rancid and we'll show you like, okay, these guys got the hits. And then it was awesome because then it was like I just put it all behind me and then rancid headlined and every all the bands watched – so there's like probably 150 people on side stage watching Rancid play all the hits to 50,000 Japanese kids, <laughs> and it was amazing. Like everyone was feeling good, and it was just the it was the sea of kids bouncing, and I was just like, I don't belong here. But this is one of the best moments <laughs> don't of my belong life. Here. And isn't it sort of beautiful in a bittersweet way? Like it, I don't belong was, here, but I'm here. It was funny because I had this huge imposter moment, and then I just kind of said, no. I'm here. No, I'm, I'm going to be here. Be here now. And, and I soaked in the rest of that day, and it was one of my favorite days on tour. I'll never forget it. You probably get this all the time. The question. So, what do you do? Yeah, and I always I say hate that question. I, I always say I don't know. I I guess I answer a lot of emails. Exactly. No, I don't know what, do you know do, what I do. And then like some people are like super like like you know what are you doing Tuesday? Oh yeah, you don't work. You, yeah. Oh, dude. You got nothing to do. The worst. Uh, we are not alone in our imposter syndrome. Uh, yeah. There are famous quotes from famous people. Who um, who attribute uh, a lot of their their feelings to this? Um, Maya Angelou, very very famous author, and she says, "I've written eleven books. <clears throat> How many books have you written, Nate? One. You've written a book? I have written a book. Are you serious? I have written a book. I just, I'm, I've been working on it. I'm learning something new. Is it done? <laughs> it's not out yet. I'm, when can I, I read? So it? much imposter syndrome. Oh I, my I, gosh." I've, I'm afraid to put it out there. I'm going to send you the war of art to read. Uh, Maya right. Angelou says, I've written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're going to find out now. I've run a game on everybody, and they're going to find me out. And that, I think, is the, just the soul of imposter syndrome. I am going to be discovered as a fraud. In every record I set out to write, Yeah, I think, initially, this is my first thought, I don't know how to write a song. You know, I think I don't it's funny know. because I'm I'm drawn to you as a person because I don't think you do have imposter syndrome. Really? Yeah, I feel like you, amongst all the people I met, I remember the first time I met you on Warp Tour that I remember meeting you. Apparently, I think we met before that, but I, I remember you with like a tank top shirt walking through the, the merch tents and your long old hair and you, you were just smiling. You came to me and you were cool right away. And... And and since then you've always modeled that attitude, and I've always huh. felt like you are you're pretty confident. You know what you want to say, and you just do it. Yeah, I mean, confidence can be a uh, can be Baked. a front. It can be a front. I mean, what I, imposter syndrome is an internal thing. So it's like I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I might I I behave you know with a lot of bravado. You know, growing up with brothers and being from a Scottish family, um, yeah. just kind of. 
yeah, I I behave with a front that I know what I'm doing. And, and it's hard it's hard for musicians because maybe what you were saying earlier in the conversation about like guys like who can just get on stage and play, right? Right. There's always a guy in a band who's like, oh, we're gonna do like the mashup. We're like at the end of this song, everyone's gonna come on stage, and then this guy's gonna guest play on the, on this song, right? Yeah. Never been that way. Like I have to rehearse and practice and know yeah. exactly what I'm doing to get out there and. And then there's dudes like, you know, they can just play with anybody at any given moment, just yeah. throw them a guitar, and they're like, oh, I know this song. Right. That makes you feel like an imposter because you're like, okay, <laughs> I'm not, clearly there are yeah. musicians here, and then there's me. Yeah, I'm not that kind of musician. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't like, I mean, just being around friends who understand theory more than I do. Like, I, I yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, I don't have the correct terms. I'll be like, you know, like the ba da 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 or the da 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 da, or like, yeah, the, yeah. it's like the fourth on the first, like, I, I just I kind of don't know. <laughs> How to communicate? Just, I and don't like, either. They're like major seventh, right? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, the one that sounds like that. Yeah, I, I started a band with a philosophy major. And <laughs> constantly felt like we were on different levels. I schemed my way into college. Uh. I went to like a really kind of a important school on the West Coast. I don't know how I got in, but everyone always said, you know, like Nate, you just have a way of scheming your way through life through the system. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, that's social IQ. I think you definitely have that. It's, you know, I think most of life comes down to, yeah, can you get what you want by being you? It's not about, you know, necessarily what you produce. Yeah. It's hard to be you. I mean, I remember our band, we really wanted success. And I remember, this is how much of an imposter I was. I created a fake email address, Punk Updates 2003. <laughs> I emailed Richard from DriveThru as a fake... <laughs> Street team kid. So he was the owner of Drive Through Records, which was really cool when we were like 18, 19. Yeah, like they signed like original like Newfound Glory, Starting Line, yeah, um, all those bands, Finch, Finch yeah. and all that stuff. And it was like the label to be on. We got a showcase out of it. No way. Yeah, we went down to LA and we showcased one of the guys that was like it wasn't actually Richard. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I was. I just created this idea that Nate sure. is going to do whatever it takes. Yeah, to get Sherwood. That's in there. that's the hustle. And I'm sure a lot of you was like, literally, I am an imposter, and it would be, it would have been <laughs> yeah. true. It would have been true. But you see that over the years, when I think about like these these musical endeavors and like putting yourself out there on a record and then promoting it and doing all the things, yeah. like that is is an exercise in overcoming imposter syndrome because we all feel like we don't okay. have anything of value. And if we actually believe that, we would have never created anything of value. We wouldn't have records that we sang and songs that we made that not only helped us define what was going on in our lives and our time stamps for our own personal histories, but also so many other people relate to these things um, in very powerful, meaningful ways. And if we, we just sat around and gone, I we don't have what it takes, you know. We don't. We we aren't musicians the way that you know, uh, classical can, musicians are, jazz musicians are, or you know, session musicians are. We don't really. Since we can't do that, we can't do this. If we said that to ourselves, we would have robbed ourselves and a lot of people of a lot of joy. And I think that's yeah. the bigger point: is that like. Everybody has something to create. Even if you, you don't consider yourself a creative person, there are experiences that you can create. There are family structures that are positive. There are things that people interact with that you're responsible for. And if you put a level of intentionality into it, 
and say, well, I'm this not is the book you know, outliers, right? This is kind of his point. Really? Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. You read that? Yeah, I have read that book. I loved it. I mean, he's trying to say everyone's on an equal plane. Everyone brings something to the table. Sure. Um, ultimately, I think that's what he's trying to say. I think like they're they're Look at these successful people. We look at them and go, oh, man, we're never going to be Bill Gates. Right. Right. But then again, like Bill Gates was the only kid in 1960 something that had access to a computer. Right. So, yeah, like it's not that he's that much greater than like if you had a computer when you were sure. eight years old in 1967. Right. Well, what the, what the book Outliers is actually saying is that these people, they aren't um, necessarily special. They just had a series of circumstances that put them in the right position and then they made the right choice. So yeah. it's like. It's not. Uh, it, there's some it, luck involved. There's there's a level of luck, but there's also conditioning. You know, it's about it's about taking advantage of opportunities. Now, if Bill Gates said, "You know what? I don't. I'm not really a a computer like genius. I don't know what I'm yeah. doing." Would there be Microsoft? You know what I'm saying? Like at yeah, some yeah. point, he felt inadequate. It's he probably still does. A lot of people in his position do. I just feel like, oh, I got lucky. Maybe yeah, I got lucky idea. with Windows and <laughs> and oh, there was this computer at this library that I had access to, and yeah, maybe he's read Outliers and goes, oh, this is true, man, and his imposter syndrome went through the roof. Yeah, like, well, this guy, I, I'm I'm reading this quote, uh, Dr. Chan, who's the chief of the WHO, the World Health Organization. So this is guy's like the top the top doctor in the world says. Um, there is a, there are an awful lot of people out there who think I'm an expert. How do these people believe all this about me? I'm so much aware of all the things I don't know. So he's like <laughs> literally the number one um, doctor in the world, and he's like, I'm I don't know what I'm I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and this, you know, that quote raises an important question because uh, literally just yesterday, this girl um, Sarah Seltzer wrote an article called um, The Problem with Imposter Syndrome. Um, she basically goes on to say, like, look, it's not that we're all frauds. It's the man. It's the system. Really? It's the system that creates this feeling and condition. And she says, ambivalence, apathy, rage, self-sabotage, uh, all these other ambition conditions right. are the quirky relatives of imposter syndrome. Hmm. In fact, it may actually be less depressing to walk around feeling like I'm a fraud than it is to think the system is rigged against me and nothing will ever change. But all these feelings are connected because they all have to do with the status quo that only prizes certain kinds of success, the oh. internally validated kind. Wow. We just <laughs> always feel like we're worker bees. We're in the system. We have to be, you know, successful at our job. Right. And then it creates this, I'm not good like my boss is, or I'll never rise up the ladder. Right. And you just constantly feel like you're a worker bee, which isn't the secret of life. No. Like, but it's hard to define what that is. Like, what brings value to a human being? Is it his title, his job? Like, when I say, hey, Matt, yeah. we meet for the first time, and I say, what do you do? You know, to me, like, as far as value, here's the thing, creating or, or, or starting a project, it's always very daunting. It's not fun, but it's like running to me. It's like, I don't like running. I like having run. I like it when it's, you know, I part, part of me likes writing songs, but... But like in in the middle of it, there's so much of my identity tied up in it and there's so much self-loathing going into it. It's just brutal. Like I self-destruct. Yeah. And then when it's all done, I go, oh, I'm so thankful that I did that, that I faced that down, that fear, yeah. that resistance. And I got through and now I have this thing that I'm really proud of. 
and that lasts about a week and then I'm back to like, nah, it's terrible. It sucks. Next thing. But you know, how I feel isn't true. It's not real. It's really how like, I, I don't like doing it. I like having done it. And so when I, so when, when new things that people say, Hey, you want to come play bass in my band or do this or do that. And I'm not super familiar with it. I generally say yes, because I know every single time I've taken on a project that seemed daunting to me. Yeah. Uh, I've looked back on it and noticed just an unbelievable amount of growth, uh, just development in, in who I am and what I'm capable of because I said yes to something difficult. Yeah, I mean, I would say everything that I learned personally from my experience touring for 10 years is the most invaluable thing. The records, the, the art, mm-hmm. it's cool. It's great. But like who I became in that whole process, right? invaluable. Being able to stand in the streets of Tokyo and look around and look over everyone's head as this big, white, red-headed... <laughs> Oh, Doyle Rules in downtown Tokyo going, <laughs> what the hell am I doing in downtown what are you Tokyo doing? right now? You're an imposter. I am this <laughs> huge imposter, literally. Well, huge. I mean, what about the imposter syndrome that happens at the merch table? Can we talk about that a little bit? Like, oh. like people come up, like, and this is the thing, like, I've always been pretty open about, you know, I, I, when I was younger, I was like, you know, you're whatever, you want to be a rock star, you want to be this elite type of individual and you realize that's all garbage and celebrity is terrible and it's fame is dumb and it doesn't mean anything it's pointless and people should stop looking up to me and i think maybe probably around our second record or right between the first and second i i really understood that and then at that Mm. point it was just like you know people come up and you have this five minute conversation at the merch table there's there's what what sociologists call a parasocial relationship right they know about me and then i don't know anything about them and so there's this kind of this this off balance thing that happens and they're attributing a lot of like 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 i know more about life or that that i that i i'm some seer or some you're on the inside yeah like i i i think on a higher plane which in my own reality i understand that i don't and that actually like part of me is like i don't know how to write a song it just happens i don't know the process it's not like I'm tapped into some reality that helps me do this. I don't know. Like, I, I'm really an imposter in this situation. But there's this pressure and this pedestal. And they go, huh. you did this. And, you you know, they say incredibly wonderful things that you should be happy to hear. Like, you know, yeah. you, you helped me with my depression or, you know, thoughts of suicide or, you know, my my brother died or, or whatever. Very, uh-huh. very, like, personal deep things that the music has connected with. And they attribute it to you. And when that happens to me, I just feel like such a fake. Because I'm like, I am not worthy. I don't know, worship or, or I'm not yeah, worthy of the status. Yeah, because you still have heroes. You have people you look up to. You have people that you're like, oh, man, these guys are good. Well, and that, These guys are amazing. <clears throat> that changes my perspective on celebrity in general. Because the people that I look up to, I realize are just like me. Maybe, maybe the people you really look up to are the most honest. People who are just... Like, I was thinking about the other day, I was like, if I ran into Bill Murray, I would be in heaven. <laughs> like, I just think that guy is He's great. super interesting. Yeah. He takes the time to live. It just seems like I always read a story like Bill Murray did this thing. Yeah. Bill like, Murray crashes a bachelorette party or whatever. He doesn't have an agent. You can just call a 1-800 number and get Right. It. He's, you know very, I mean? he's, he's just, very present and he doesn't have pretense. He's not like I'm better than anybody. And that's why everyone loves him. That's why they love him. And they probably walk up to him like, I, I, I don't even know what to say to you, Bill Murray. Well, like, changed I, my I life. He's like, I was in Ghostbusters. Right. What are you talking about? I can't stand the pretense. And it, it, it makes me feel like such an imposter when people... But are. what are you supposed to say? You walk up to somebody, you don't know them, 
and they're on stage and you want to say something to them and you have to have the kind of the maturity to go, ah, I don't need to tell them. I don't well, need to tell them that thing. On, like I can just on understand one hand, that. I yeah. That. On one hand, like I love hearing the stories because it, it sort of validates what we do. It's just, it's more about the social pressure of the pedestal they put you on. Now, if they say, you did this thing and you wrote the song and that was really special to me and I just want to share that. I get that. But yeah. it's when it's when they're, you know, the hands are shaking and I just feel like yeah, yeah, what yeah. are you doing? Like Well, in some senses music draws insecure people to it, right? Right. So they connect to this song and that you know, you think about how many people are just like so moved by what celebrities do. I mean, think of the level of insecurity it takes to care 24/7 what one direction is doing. It's just impossible to <laughs> to even put yourself there now as a 35-year-old, 33-year-old, yeah. whatever. What about the favorite fans? Every band has them. Yeah. There's really cool fans. They come to every show. They almost become mm. friends with no, you. No, yeah, we have those too, yeah. And you're like, w- those people have a ton of confidence. Yeah. They have no insecurity. And if they displayed any odd, like, oh, I'm a fan, I like you, you'd be like, uh, let's go. Let's get out of here. This guy's weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you all know the weird fans, and you all know the like the the cool ones. It's is it the cool ones are just oh, like they're able to hide the fact that they have a parasocial relationship. Yeah, maybe the reason we like those types of folks is because they don't expose our imposter syndrome. We don't feel like we're uh, better than them. We don't feel like they feel like we're better than we feel like yeah. we're on the same level. They treat us like they're on the same level as us, and so therefore we like hanging out with them because we actually believe that we're on the same level as everybody like i actually believe that every single person who comes to a classic crime or vocal few show is as valuable if not more than me (laughs) like i do believe that and so when people start doing this shift in value and balance and they look at you it's it's very hard to not feel like a fraud because i know Mm -hmm. i i know that i'm not better than anybody how many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? How many seas must the white dove sail before she sleeps in the sand? I think to me, the way out of imposter syndrome is to put that anger and that insecurity towards the fact that, like you said, we're all humans. We're all on an equal level. Right. We're all in this together. So who cares if no one listens to our podcast? You know why? Right. We're not doing it for them. We're doing it for us. It's helping us, right? Yeah, we're, we are doing it to say, you know what? Oh, Doyle rules, man. That's right. <laughs> like, what would you, what advice would you give to people who are facing down potential creative endeavors with a, a, a level of dread? And Is it like Shia LaBeouf? Do it! Don't let your dreams be dreams. Yesterday, you said tomorrow. So just do it! Make your dreams come true! Just do it! Yeah. Just do it! I mean, that's what... I mean, he's basically (laughs) staring in the mirror right there, right? He's saying, do it, man. He's unafraid. Do whatever you want to do. And he's he's just having a moment where either either he's really high or... Or so he's get really high. Inside, or he's really inside of himself and he's just pissed. He's just like, why aren't you doing anything? Yeah. Some people 
dream is success while you're gonna wake up and work hard at it. Nothing is impossible. No. Just do it. Yeah. I can't stand. And that's the thing. It's like say his name again. I, I never got his name right. <clears throat> Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, it's just like a weird name. If you haven't seen the do it. I mean, if you need some encouragement, just I'll throw YouTube, the sound bite in Shia LaBeouf do it. Um, I. I I don't even know if I answered your question. No, uh, you didn't. I mean, but th- but do it is <laughs> do it is it. Like for me, like just do it. I it helps me. Like I, my wife always makes fun of me because I'm always like, there's two different people in the world, or things are binary, white and black. You know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Ones and zeros. But it helps me decide if there is um, one choice and the ultimatum, then I can know where to go. And for me, it's like. You're either a person who does or a person who doesn't do. You do or you don't do. You can talk yeah. about all you want, but the more you talk about it, the more you're a don't do. And we've so, had like 20-something friends say, hey, I want to be on the podcast. Yeah. It's like, go make a podcast. <laughs> do it. If you want to be on a podcast, do it. <laughs> do it. Do it. Just do it. That's what yeah, you need. I mean, Creative people, any people, all the people out there, if you're thinking of doing something – you take the do next it. five minutes and you do it. You <laughs> you do it right now. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Well, I mean, here's the thing. It's like Nate and I have had a ton of conversations over the last few weeks about what the podcast is going to be. And we've experienced um, experimenting with different formats and different segments. And what are we going to – what's this going to yeah. look like? And we can talk, 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 talk. But – what it really comes down to is what happens when we press record. What happens when I mean, we do it? So what's this podcast all about? And automatically, I'm like, uh, I mean, it's a, it, uh, you know, I just like <laughs> it's a thing. I don't care. I want to do a podcast, and I yeah. want to just put my heart out there, and I'm going to do it. It's just right? a podcast where we do it a lot. <laughs> but you have to describe it, and you have to kind of <laughs> yeah. throw out like, well, how's this thing going to make money? Is going to be profit? You just you go through these loops in your yeah. head of like trying to figure out why you do something and i'm just like speaking of hey. money we're currently making four dollars a month my mom is uh, our first patreon uh, uh patron if you guys have heard of patreon it's a way to support free endeavors um assuming at this point we have at least a handful of listeners uh if you appreciate four if you appreciate us yelling do it at you it. uh you might want to consider <laughs> You might want to consider um, supporting us. We have like a monthly goal we're trying to get to. Uh, the, the podcast is free, obviously. There are um, there are expenses for hosting. Um, we don't we haven't set an advertisement yet. I don't think. Uh, no. So we want to keep it free. We want to keep it ad free. Please help us to by uh, considering going to our Patreon page. That's p a t r e o n dot com slash Don't Feed the Trolls. And uh, see oh, if yeah. you can uh, you know, just do it. Beautiful. And that's what we like about Bill Murray, right? He seems like he can really be there, be here. Yeah, like enjoy it. He's the kind of dude where you could, tr- if you had his number right now and you called the A1 800 number, he might come on this podcast and start talking to you. Well, yeah, because he's got nothing better to do. <laughs> exactly. He doesn't have a job. That's perfect. Oh, no, man. but there's so many dudes who wouldn't ever come on this podcast because you're you and I are not cool enough, right? right? right. But a guy like Bill Murray would he would randomly just do it. Like He's totally overcome his imposter syndrome. And I think that's uh that's a good place to end this because what else can you say besides that? You're all imposters and we all feel the same way. We all feel like we're not good enough. Remember, fear is good, self-doubt is good. It indicates that what we are doing is 
good. In, in As it relates to projects, creative things, whatever, please read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. It's been really, really helpful for me. And, you know, I don't even know if I would have been okay to start a podcast with you, Nate, if I had not read that book and said, you know what, screw it. It sounds hard. It sounds like I might be in a vulnerable spot. I'll do it. So really Dude, recommend that book. I feel like it has, to me, shown kind of what you are and what you do because, guys, we started this podcast in like two and a half weeks. <laughs> like, I've done a lot of creative projects. This is the fastest thing I've ever done. Like, I I want to commend you to everybody out there, Matt. <laughs> well, say, I got to defer. Thank you. I got to defer to Matt Carter um, of Emory and the Bad Christian Podcast. He's the one that taught me, you just got to do it. Do it! So, I mean, I'm just following him around. Like, I, I'm i one to talk about it and make sure it's right and be obsessive. Hit record. Let's do it. So... It is. It is what it is. And we actually really appreciate our listeners' feedback. If you can give us some feedback at don't email the trolls at gmail.com or at trollspodcast.com. We really appreciate... We don't know. And every email will just feel more like imposters. We'll just feel so. like, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're starting to get some emails. We'll read them on on the the episodes coming up probably so shoot I'd us love to leave some uh, leave this podcast with the words the, the last few sentences of that article I was reading okay cuz I think they're really good she said imagine waking up every day and going to work in a country with more humane policies like paid sick leave and family leave longer vacation time universal basics like income occasional sabbaticals or anything else that would allow us to pursue our intellectual and career ambitions in a healthier way hmm. without feeling like they were the only things that mattered. It might sound like a pipe dream, but it's election year. That's really the problem. We all kind of feeling like we're in a rat race Yeah, and it makes you feel like a cog in the wheel. And maybe the, the whole goal of this podcast is just say, I'm not a cog. Yeah. I'm going to get out of there. Sure. I'm just going to do something. And I don't care who, if my mom thinks that she has a bad son because he drops the F-bomb every once in a while. <laughs> you have the full command of the English vocabulary. All the slang terms are at your dispersal. Get out yeah. there. Get into the fray. Get your hands dirty. Make, it, make things. Let's, let's feel our shared condition in this human race. Yay! And uh, feel like we're all insecure in some senses. We can all go up to the merch table and shoot the breeze and feel like a human being right thank you for listening to don't feed the trolls we'll be back next week thanks guys Stop giving up.